Uh, you please stand for the reading of God's word uh, this morning. Bruce will be getting a new series um, entitled Identity Theft. And we're going to be looking in at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3 and going all the way up to 11. If you don't have a Bible on you, we should have a pew Bible in front of you. It will be getting on page 663, and we'll flip over as time goes. But follow along as I read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 11. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then the last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, and we pray, and thank you first off and foremost that those first two verses emulate the relationship you have with us, God, that you were died for our sins, was buried, and then was brought back, God. You came back. Thank you for this opportunity to worship together this morning. I pray that you would give Bruce the words to speak and uh, the ability and give him the chance to pierce our hearts, God, with your word. Um, I thank you for all you've done this morning, all for you will do for us the rest of our day, week, months, years. Pray this in your name, amen. Powerful. We're going to spend the next four weeks talking just about that. Our identity in Christ and what Christ has done for us as we are in him and Christ is in us and that changes everything. Identity theft. New series we're starting today. In fact, identity theft hit an all-time high in 2016. According to a new identity fraud study, identity thieves stole, get this, $16 billion from 15.4 million Americans last year, which is up 16% from the year before. That means approximately one in every 16 U.S. adults were victims of identity theft last year. And as many as 41 million U.S. adults have already had their identity stolen. Perhaps that is you. Perhaps you have had your identity stolen. And if that is so, then you know that identity theft can ruin a person's credit rating, and it can even ruin their name, their life. But there's a different kind of identity theft that impacts us as Christians. In fact, any Christ follower is susceptible to this kind of identity theft that we're going to tackle in these next four Sundays. You may define yourself by your job. You may define yourself by your looks 
or by your successes, by your mistakes, even your resume or your relationships. You may also define yourself by what you've accomplished in life or acquired or by what you have been through. Or your identity may even come from what others have called you and still continue to call you. But as a Christian, a Christ follower, one who has been born again by the Spirit of God, you have been given a new identity, and that identity is first and foremost in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, is a wonderful, fabulous, life-changing, life-impacting phrase. In fact, this phrase, in Christ, or some variation of it, is used, get this, over 140 times in the Bible. Why? Because it's foundational for us. It's what we live out of as Christ followers. Christ is in us, and we are in Him. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in this way, the Christian's identity is directly tied to who Christ is. His identity becomes our identity since we belong to Christ. Paul put it this way in Colossians 3.3, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so when you, quote, hide your identity in Christ, it's not necessarily hidden from others. Oh, no. But it is protected by Christ. But here's the problem. Even though our identity in Christ is protected by Christ, it's secure in Christ, nothing can change that. We have a spiritual enemy who wants to rob us of that identity in Christ. You say, who is this spiritual enemy? Well, it's the devil. In fact, his name is our first indicator that he is trouble. His name, the devil, means deceiver. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, verse 44, when he, that is the devil, tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. And so it is no surprise that the devil uses several different lies to rob us or to try to rob us of our identity in Christ, which brings us to a key principle that we're going to look at each and every Sunday here. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen, this key principle. A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. In other words, a lie we believe is true, even though it is not true, will affect us as if it were true. And here's why. All of us here this morning, we live out of who we believe or we think we are. That's what we live out. In other words, what we believe about our identity impacts how we live each day. It impacts how we live at school. It impacts how we live at work. It impacts how we live in, at home with our families. It impacts how we live even here at church. One writer writes in his book, Conform to His Image, we cannot consistently behave in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. So beware, the devil is a liar, and he viciously attacks you with lies about your identity in Christ. 
1 Peter 5.8 reminds us where, where Peter tells us, be sober-minded, be alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, he's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone who he can devour. In other words, the devil is seeking to rob you of your identity in Christ, and his greatest weapon is lies. And so today we're going to look at one of the more common lies that the devil wants us to believe, to buy into. And it's a lie that can leave you pickpocketed by your past. Notice the lie here. Beware of this lie. I am what I have been through. That's the lie that Satan uses to rob you of your identity in Christ. Satan, or the devil, wants you to believe that you are what you have been through. Everyone here has one thing in common. Doesn't matter if you're 15 years old or if you're 95 years old. All of us here have one thing in common. We all have a past, and it's not perfect. In fact, it is very imperfect. Our past can include things that either we have done, or it can involve things that have actually been done to us. Some people struggle with feelings of guilt, regret, and shame because of what they have done in their past, while others battle with issues of anger, bitterness, resentment because of what has been done to them in their past. So we all come here today with imperfect past. Why? Because we're imperfect human beings. None of us is perfect. And what we have been through has the potential to rob us of our identity in Christ. Whether it's something you did or something that was done to you, the past can hack into your soul and do a real number on you. It can steal your identity in Christ. The issue is not if you have a past, but rather what you have done with that past. And today the focus is on how to think about the past and especially how to think about it in terms of the identity that is offered to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our text today is here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a text where the Apostle Paul talks about his own past. The reason why Paul's instructions are so helpful here is because Paul had committed things in his past, let me tell you, that were very public, very horrific. He also endured some things in his past that were unfair and unjust. Therefore, what Paul says here is particularly helpful as he gives this wonderful explanation of his identity in Christ in light of his past. So what does Paul do with his past? What he's been through? Both what he has done and what others have done to him. What does he do with it? Well, he tells us here in 1 Corinthians 15. So let's jump into it. Let's see this. Look at it. Number one, start with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul starts by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look again what he writes in 1 Corinthians 15. There is verses 3 through 4. Paul writes, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And here now he defines for us. He declares for us the gospel. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The simple message that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again is foundational to everything in life, especially how we view our past. Why? Because the gospel has the power to transform everything in our lives, including our past. You say, well, how does the gospel impact one's identity? How does this shape and transform, redeem my identity, including my past? Well, let me just give you a summary of the gospel as it relates to our identity. First one, you have to need to understand God is holy and we're not. God is holy. This means that he is without sin, but it also means that there is nothing in the universe that possesses greater purity, beauty, and glory than God. So God is holy. He's unlike us. Why? Because number two, I am not holy. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. Paul reminds us that in Romans in the book of Romans. In other words, we are tragically not like God. And in our sinfulness, the Bible even tells us we have rebelled against a holy God. And this effect of this sinful condition in which we are born into, our rebellion against God, our sin, that effect is an identity crisis that we have, that we are born with. And so everyone is born with this identity crisis, and it cannot be solved apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It cannot be solved apart from being reconciled back to a holy God through His Son, Jesus Christ, which brings us to the third issue of the gospel. It's why Paul writes what he does. Jesus saves. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus died in my place in order to address the greatest need in my life, and that is sin. It's the greatest issue, problem in my life. Jesus makes it possible for now my sin to be forgiven with his death on the cross. Forgiveness of sin, restoration of our identity is available to us by trusting in Jesus to save me. And so now that leads to this fourth issue here, that my identity is no longer in who I am as a sinner but now my identity is secure in who Christ is. My identity is in Christ. Through faith in Jesus, everything about my life is impacted by this new identity that I have in Christ. And so my identity in Christ changes all other things about me, every aspect of my life. In fact, it gives now eternal meaning to every aspect of my life, such as your work, your marriage, your money, your body, your sexuality, and even our deaths. In order to deal with the past, Paul is reminding us here that you must first deal with the root issue, the core issue, in relation to the gospel. And that's what the gospel does for us. The gospel deals with the core issue of an identity crisis. In other words, you have to deal with the reason behind your past. Whether it was something you did or whether it was something that was done to you, the Bible tells us that our world has fallen into sin. You go back to Genesis 3 and we know the story. We do bad things because we are what? We're sinners. And bad things happen to us. Why? Because other people are sinners. And we don't live in isolation in this world. 
So if you don't understand God's remedy for sin, then you will not be able to effectively deal with your past. Instead, like so many people in our country and across the world today, you will find any number of ways to cope and to compensate for your past, which is where most people live today. Perhaps you have spent years trying to sort through why you did what you did. Or even trying to justify why you have done what you've done. Maybe you've struggled with bitterness, anger, resentment because of what someone or even perhaps many people have done to you in your past. And as a result, maybe you have now ruined relationship after relationship, bouncing from one relationship to the next, or you've tried to alleviate the pain of your past. And in our society, most people try to do that through addictions, intoxication, medication, or to absorb themselves in work, career, pleasure, family, you name it. The reality is you cannot deal with your identity as it relates to your past without coming to terms with who you are as a sinner. And understanding, I can never deal with that core issue apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, until I start with the gospel in relation to who I am, I will always struggle with my identity. I will be in identity crisis mode all my life. The gospel is the one thing that changes everything. It is the one reality that changes all other realities. And so when the Bible talks about the power of the gospel, it often uses these phrases like a new heart. Jesus used the term being born again. In John 3.3, Paul uses the phrase a new creation in Christ. And so if you're going to deal with the past, it starts with the gospel. It starts by being born again through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're struggling, the question you need to ask here is, have I dealt with the core issue of my heart, sin? And have I dealt with it in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you have it, that is the place to start. Right there. The second principle for redeeming the past is be honest about it. Be honest. This is the beauty of the gospel. When you see yourself in your past through the lens of the gospel, it frees you now to be honest about what you have been through. Rather than denying the past, rather than trying to redefine the past, rather than trying to even justify your past, look what Paul does. Paul actually acknowledges the reality of his past. Look what he writes in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because he did what? Paul says, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul saw himself as the least of the apostles, one who was not even worthy to be called an apostle because of what he did in the past. He persecuted the church of God. Now, we've just got through studying here in the book of Acts for the last few years. We have seen this. We've learned this. In fact, just think of the shame and the scandal Paul must have dealt with everywhere he went on his missionary journeys. 
Remember what we learned in the book of Acts about Paul's persecution? Prior to his conversion to Christ, Paul led the way in the most organized and widespread arrest, torture, and murder of Christians that the church had ever seen. After consenting to Stephen's murder, Luke writes this about Paul in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Saul, which was his name prior to Christ, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. And then the next chapter, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, now Saul was still breathing these threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And so it's no wonder here, in Paul's own testimony about himself in relation to his past, he says, man, I'm the least of the apostles. Can you imagine with me, just for a moment, what it must have been like for him? After Christ, his life's been transformed on that Damascus Road experience where God intervened by His grace. But now Paul is answering the call to go. And can you imagine Paul's entering into the church at Jerusalem or perhaps he's entering into the church at Antioch knowing that there might be, probably are, some families in one of those two churches, if not both, that have been impacted by what he did in the past in his persecution of Christians. Can you imagine that? No one has sinned against God's church more than Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15 here in our text, it's not the only place where he writes about it. Paul later would write in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, listen, for you have heard of my former life. You've heard about it. The church at Galatia, you guys heard about my past. It was talked about. My former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, Paul says. Paul says of himself in 1 Timothy 1.13, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor. And then he says, an arrogant man. You go to Philippians and he tells you why he was an arrogant man. Because he was the chief of the Pharisees, if you will. He had all the credentials. He had the resume. Paul was honest about what he did in the past. And he also, get this, this is important, he knew what it was like to be unfairly and unjustly treated as well. Before his conversion to Christ, Paul was the one doing the persecution of Christians. But after his conversion to Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul was now the one, what? Being persecuted as a Christian. Listen to what he has been through in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 27. It says, this is Paul's own testimony again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. He's a Roman citizen. That was against the law. Unjust, unfairly. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent our night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have 
often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and had often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, he writes. Paul's life was filled with difficulty, hardships, and suffering. And most of it was unjust from a human perspective. And yet, what is so compelling is the fact that Paul was honest about these events in the past, both what he did and what was done unjustly to him. Paul acknowledged his past as a reality, but not, get this, as his ultimate reality. And in the same way, you can be honest about your past without it defining who you are now in Christ. God's grace, just as it did for Paul, it liberates you from the bondage of your past. And it frees you now to live out your identity in Christ. You're a child of God. You've been redeemed. Which brings us to the third principle for redeeming the past. Cover your past with the grace of God. What Paul writes here in verse 10 is perhaps one of the most life-changing truths in all the Scripture, especially in light of the guilt and shame we experience because of our past. After Paul talks about his past as a persecutor of God's church, he says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Don't you just love that? Powerful. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, but by the grace of God, I am redeemed and set free from my past, is what Paul is saying. So when Paul says, but by the grace of God, it means that Paul's past was real and it impacted his life. There's no denying his past. There's no sweeping it under the rug. And yet there's no justifying it either. There's no ignoring it. He admits it, he gets honest about it, and he covers it with the grace of God. However, something greater than his past intervened in his life that radically changed his life, his past, and that was the grace of God. You could say God's grace covered or overshadowed Paul's past without denying it, without sweeping it under the rug, without diminishing the impact of it. In this way, God's grace acts like an eclipse covering or overshadowing the past. In fact, one pastor, he puts it this way, using this term eclipse. And I like what he has to say here. Listen to his words. An eclipse describes the way that God's grace becomes the greater focus in front of the other object. In this case, it helps us because it acknowledges the reality of the past. It is real. It is there. It is not going away. But it is not the main thing. It is not the focus and it is not the ultimate reality. Why? Because God's grace is the bigger focus now. And it covers the past. It redeems what's behind it. And that is the grace of God. It's beautiful. God's grace is now Paul's focus in reality. As Paul says, his grace toward me was not in what? Not in vain. In that term, it means the idea it wasn't worthless. It wasn't futile. In other words, it was powerful. It was life-changing. It impacted his life. It radically changed his life. People often feel like they are prisoners of the past. 
And they feel that way because they oftentimes have so much guilt and shame over their past. Now, when we feel guilty, that is oftentimes God working in our hearts. It's a clear signal we've got something going on that we need to deal with. And so not all guilt is necessarily bad. If you feel guilty, you need to ask yourself, do I have unconfessed sin going on? But as you might imagine, Satan takes what God made for good and he distorts it. Guilt that is left unconfessed and unforgiven eventually morphs into his uglier, more sinister cousin named shame. And shame takes guilt to a whole new level because shame attacks the core of who you are. It attacks your identity of what you are now. Not just what you did or what somebody's done to you. Another author, in fact you may recognize his name, Louis Smeeds writes, The difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilt because he did something wrong. A person feels shame because he is something wrong. And so do you see how that can just blow up your identity? It can mess it up big time. Shame is an extremely dangerous enemy. But get this, shame has met its match in God's grace. Oh, man, are you not excited about that? Hope you are. So like Paul did, get honest with God about your guilt and your shame and your sin. Come clean with Him. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've strayed or how dark your life has become, and let God's grace cover your sin, remove your guilt and shame, and restore your identity in Christ. 1 John 1.8 says, and we learned this last summer in our series from 1 John, it says that if we say we don't have any sin in our lives, man, we're just kidding ourselves. In the immediate next verse, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, though, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you, there is something liberating about the power of God's grace. It has the power to redeem your sinful past. But get this, it also has the power to transform your suffering past. Many of us get stuck right here. Of the unjust, unfair things that have happened to us in life. And it's this part of our past that paralyzes us. And it robs us of all that God has for us in this life. As a Christ follower, as one who is in Christ. Joseph is a phenomenal example of this very truth of how God's grace redeems. It has the power to transform the suffering even in your past. The unfair difficulties and issues and hardships. You remember the story. If you don't know the story, if you never heard of the story of Joseph, you can take time this afternoon and read it. It's found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. Let me give you a synopsis of it. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous and they hated him. 
Years later, when Joseph finally had his opportunity to get revenge, and isn't that what you look for when somebody's done something bad to you? You can't wait for the opportunity to get revenge. Because that's what our culture says. That's how you compensate, deal with the past, when you've been unfairly treated. And so Joseph gets this opportunity finally. And yet, we are told he chose to be merciful and to forgive his brothers. In fact, he tells them in Genesis 50, verse 20, what you meant, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's unbelievable, isn't it? We, we almost can't even fathom that in our day and age. But through God's grace, Joseph is able to see past the sins his brothers committed against him unjustly, unfairly, and see God's greater purpose for his life. Now, that doesn't mean he understood everything God was doing. He didn't have every question answered. But he was able to see past the sins of his brothers and see that God was doing something bigger in his life. God had a greater purpose that transcended anything that was going on in his past. And so this freedom is what that comes to those who find their identity not in what people have done to them, but in terms of what God's grace now means to them in the present. Rather than your identity being defined by the tragic events of your past, you can see it as the means by which God is somehow, some way, working out His plan for your life, even when you don't understand everything about it. Listen, if you are in bondage to your past, then what you need is something greater than your past to redeem it. And that's what God's grace does in the gospel. In fact, if you have yet to experience God's grace in your life, then perhaps this helps explain why the past is such a struggle for you. One reason why so many people struggle with the past who have not experienced God's grace is because they have no lens through which to see their past. They have no gospel lens in which to help them understand your past. Because without God's grace, there is no point and there is no purpose for your past. So perhaps part of the reason why you are here today is because God wants to show you your need for His grace in the gospel. As one pastor put it, this is what the gospel does. It changes your sinful past from being the definition of who you are to being the place where God's grace defines you. It also changes the painful past from being that unfair event that has ruined everything to being a painful experience that God has used to trust in Him and to believe that He works all things out for your good in His glory. So the past is redeemed through the power of God's grace, but there's one last principle that we must not miss. And that is depend on the grace of God daily. Here's the deal. We must constantly guard against the lie that says, I am what I have been through. In other words, we never get over that. That is a daily battle. Daily. 
Therefore, we need to continually, daily depend, embrace, rely on the grace of God. Look what Paul says in the rest of verse 10. He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Because of his past, Paul basically admits, man, I had to work harder than anyone else, any of the other apostles. And perhaps some of you know exactly what he's talking about because there are some days that you wake up and your first thoughts are a tidal wave of grief and regret and shame or bitterness and resentment. Paul's life was not easy due to his past. And yet, and yet, don't miss what he writes here in verse 10. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul learned to depend on God's grace daily. Day by day, he learned to embrace God's grace in his life. And any progress that he made, he knew it was not him, but it was all because of God's grace working in his life. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul even records what God told him when he was going through, get this, should come as no shock, more suffering after Christ, after he came to Christ. And he says... God's words to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is what we desperately need in our lives. No one is exempt from that. Why? Because God's grace is what frees us from our past. It's what changes us now. And it's what gives us a future. As one pastor said, grace turns my shame into healing, my guilt into justification, and my regret into new hope. And the key here is just like Paul. It is learning to depend on God's grace daily. To look at your past through the lens of the gospel, which is not just for salvation, by the way. And to allow God's truth to define your reality in Christ. Remember, everyone here has one thing in common. We all have a past. And it is not perfect. Our past can include things that we have done. Or it can involve things that have been done to us. And if we're honest, it probably is a little bit of both. The good news is you don't have to be pickpocketed by your past. Instead, your past can be redeemed by God's grace when you start with the gospel, when you get honest with God, when you cover your past with His grace, and you depend on His grace daily. Now, as we close here, let me just leave you with two thoughts about how God's grace radically impacts your past. Notice, first of all, your past does not have to define you when you are redeemed by God's grace. And to that, we all say what? Amen. Amen. Listen, if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith, then you know that God intervened in your life and redeemed you by His grace. He loved you, He saved you, and He's still making you a new creation in Christ. And by His grace, everything in your life is working in accordance with His plan, even though we may not understand everything about it. And if that is true, and it is, you know what that means? That means you can trust God wholeheartedly 
with your life, past, present, and future. And although you may not understand and have figured out everything in your past, why that happened, why I did what I did, or why something happened in my past, or why something took place from somebody else, even though you may not figure out everything about that, you can be thankful that God is still good and holy and gracious. And because of God's redeeming grace in your life, your past no longer has to define who you are. Rather, your identity is now found in Christ alone. That's the power of God's grace. Number two, there's a second though. You can use your past to declare the beauty and power of God's grace. Here's the deal. When God redeems you, God doesn't ignore your past. And neither, have you figured this out, neither does He change it. Instead, God gives your past meaning and purpose. And that purpose is to use your past, get this, to declare the beauty and glory and power of God's grace in your life. When you base your identity in Christ, you are now free to use what you've been through. All the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. And you are now free. You're liberated to take what has been done to you in the past or what you have done. And you're now free to use it for the honor and glory of God to declare His grace working in your life. But here's, here's what Satan does. Satan wants to keep us living in that and wallowing in that. Instead of letting the grace of God redeem us out of that, and now we give glory to God about it. That was God's grace. I am what I am by the grace of God, as Paul said. And so while we should never boast in our past, we can use our past to boast in God's grace. Now, as we close, there's only one question that matters. And that is, have you been redeemed by God's grace? At this moment, that is the only question that matters. I love what Paul writes about the power of God's grace to redeem the past. It's found in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through where Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be, be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, passive homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, the verbally abusive, and swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you once lived this way, Paul says. And what Paul is saying there, he's saying, listen, that's your past. This used to be your identity. Everything I've listed, and it's not an exhaustive list. In other words, it's representative of all of us here as sinners. And Paul's saying, and such were some of you. This used to be who you are. This was who you are. This was your identity. But you cannot miss what Paul says about God's grace and what God's grace does in verse 11, where he says now, but, but, he's contrasting, but you were washed, 
You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, Paul's saying, this was your identity, but now your identity is Christ because you've been redeemed. Pretty cool. It's more than cool. It's life-changing. And this brings us back to the gospel that Paul started with. And the question is, have you been redeemed? Have you acknowledged your need for Jesus and put your faith and trust in Him alone? Because my prayer is that you would turn from your sins and turn to Christ, receive His forgiveness so that your identity would be in Christ and not in your past. One of the greatest joys of embracing God's grace in the Gospel is being able to say, I am redeemed. Have you been redeemed? God's grace in the gospel is powerful enough to redeem you and your past. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you all how we thank you. We are humbled by your grace to us, your goodness to us, when we did not deserve it. And yet you tell us when we were dead in our sins that you intervened. You opened up our eyes and our hearts and you offered to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. You made us see our need for Jesus. And Lord, I pray that that is even happening right now for some. Lord, make us tender to your spirit and how you want to work. And perhaps there are even some, they know they're Christ followers. They have been born again, but they're struggling. Their identity in you has been robbed by their past. Either because they're still struggling with what they have done or what others have done to them. And so, Lord, even now in our response time, let us bring that to the foot of the cross where only you can deal with these things because you've dealt with them with your son, Jesus, at the cross. We pray this in your name. Amen. The instrumentalists are going to play a chorus. Use this time to respond right where you're seated, in prayer. Bring your past to the Lord if need be. Bring your life to the Lord and let him redeem you if need be.